0: I have a question for you. How would your life be different if you lived with the constant awareness that God is with you? I mean constantly aware that God is always with you, 24-7 that God is always with you. How would your life be different if you lived with this constant awareness of God's presence in your life? How would your life be different if you knew, beyond the shadow of a doubt, if you knew completely that God made you special and unique, how would your life be different if you knew for certain that God loved you no matter what, that you are loved by the God who created you no matter what, how would your life be different, how would your life be different if you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, that you are not here by accident. But that God has a reason for creating you and that God has a reason for you to be here. How would your life be different if you walked around with the awareness that God has expectations of you? That God has expectations of your life. That God has given us commandments to follow. And that he expects us to obey. Again, what would your life be like if you had this 24-7 awareness that God is with you, and that he is with you wherever you go, whatever you do, wherever you've been, wherever you're going, that God is with you, and he always will be. This morning we are continuing in our series called The Rise and Fall of Us All. We are looking at Genesis chapters 1 through 3, and we're talking about the creation of the world. Uh, We talked about how God exists in his existence a few weeks ago. We are talking, uh, we talked about how God created the heavens and the earth and everything within them. We talked about how God created us, how he created humanity, and we are his prized creation, his favorite thing he ever made. Uh, The Bible says that uh, God created everything, it was good, then he created humanity, and he said it's very good. He was very pleased with uh, his creation of us. Um, So we've looked at how God has created everything, and we're going to see today how God has expectations of everything and everyone, how God has expectations of us. Today we are talking about the dawn of man, and how uh, humanity got here, and how God made Adam, and how he made him special and unique, and we're going to talk about this important issue of God's expectations of his creation, of God's expectations of us. Uh, Next week, we are going to talk about, uh, we're going to continue in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to talk about marriage next week and how God created uh, a helper suitable uh, for Adam. Uh, we are going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about marriage in 2014 and all of the implications of what that means. Okay? I you think you get my drift. I think you know what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about the issue. We're not going to talk about the snow. That's, that's one issue. But no, we're going to talk about marriage next week. We're going to talk about gay marriage next week. And so I encourage you, if you have friends that you know and you're like, hey, uh, you're talking about it this week, you're like, you know what, my preacher's going to talk about that next week. You should come to church with me. It's a great opportunity. We're going to talk about what God says about marriage and his ideal for marriage and his dream for our marriages. We're going to talk about that next week. And then after that, we're going to talk about Genesis chapter three. We're going to talk about how we broke this whole thing. We're going to talk about the fall of us all in a couple of weeks. Uh, When we talk about Genesis chapter 3 But for today we're going to look at Genesis 2, 4 through 17 If you can grab your Bible Or if you didn't bring one, grab the Bible out of the uh, pew in front of you Uh, So grab your Bible, grab your bulletin Turn to page 3 of your bulletin And you will find the handy dandy outline And you can fill in some blanks starting now The first blank on your outline this morning is Made by God Made by God Look at uh, Genesis 2, 4 through 7 Moses wrote, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth or snow, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So Adam was the first man fashioned by God, made by God just the way he wanted him to, and he created Adam, and he brought him, the Bible says he brought him from the dust of the earth. Now what's interesting is in the Hebrew, the word for earth is very similar to the word for Adam. Okay, uh, it's, it's Adama and Adam. So you have the Adam brought forth from the Adama. And so uh, God creates uh, the earth, and then from that earth he forms and fashions Adam. He forms a man, and he made him special and unique. He made him in the image of God, and then God breathed life into his nostrils. He breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living being. He was alive. Now, there are three places in Scripture that I can think of where God breathes, okay? Three times that God breathes. The first is here in Genesis chapter 2, where God breathes life into the nostrils of Adam. The second time is in John chapter 20, when Jesus appears to his disciples. And John 20, verse 22 says, And with that he breathed on them, and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, that God, that Jesus breathed God's Spirit uh, uh, into his disciples. The third instance of God breathing is in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. It says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So you see, there's three places where we see the breath of God where God breathes. One, he breathes life into Adam. Two, he breathes his uh, Holy Spirit into his disciples. And three, he breathes life into his word. And that's why, we, that's why we follow the Bible. It's because it is a, li- a living document. It is a living, breathing document. It is not some dead book written in a dead language that was written for people long ago that doesn't make any sense for us today. That's not true. It is God's Word. It is living and active, as the Bible sa- says about itself. And it is for us. And it is useful for correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, and teaching, and preaching, and, and everything that we do with it. Uh, we follow the Bible Here at Griffith First Christian Church, it is God's word. We treat it as such. I preach and teach from it every Sunday. I don't preach the latest book from the latest author. I don't preach pop psychology. I preach scripture because it is the word of God, and that's what we follow. So God breathes life into Adam. He breathes life into his disciples through the Holy Spirit, and he breathes life into his word. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 shows us that we are uniquely and specially made, that God made us unique and special. God is infinitely wise in his creation. Think about your body for just a moment, okay? Think about how your body works, how you can take food. This morning I had for breakfast a chicken sandwich. Why? I was running late. So I ate a chicken sandwich. Uh, I can heat it up in the microwave in 45 seconds. What a world in which we live that I can take a healthy, quasi-healthy chicken sandwich, throw it in the microwave. 45 seconds later, I am mowing on dead chicken. It's awesome. So, um, so I take, the, I take the chicken sandwich out, I put a piece of Swiss on it, I put a little light mayo, light mayo, I'm 40 now, and so I put the light mayo on the sandwich, I eat the sandwich, my body takes the sandwich, pulls all the nutrients and protein out of it, applies it to my body, and allows me to do what I do, it allows me to go on my day, I get up, I preach, and and I, I worship, and I'm going to go and I'm going to uh, do my day, and, and my body pulls all this protein, nutrients, energy, and vitamins out of this food, and it gives me energy to live. And then at the end of the day, when the chicken sandwich is long gone, I'm tired, and my body lets me sleep. Oh, I love sleep. I'm a good sleeper. I really am. My mom says I wasn't when I was a kid, but now I am, and I I learned my lesson. Sleep is good. And so I sleep, and, and my body goes to sleep, and eight hours later, I wake up. And I know some of you are thinking, you get eight hours of sleep? Absolutely. I need my beauty sleep. But I sleep for eight hours a night. And I get up and i got energy to go. And when you're keeping up with a seven-year-old, you need all that energy. You need more than one chicken sandwich a day. So the body is amazing how God does do all these things. And how did it all start? Two little cells. Two little cells came together. And through the process of rapid mitosis, became me. Me. <coughs> Excuse me. And so God made me special. He made me unique. He made you special. He made you unique. And he he created it in infinite wisdom. Listen to this. This is great. From Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. Psalmist wrote, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That God created us. God knit you together in your mother's womb. He made you just the way he wanted you. He knew what color your eyes would be before you were born. He knew what color your hair would be before you were born. He knew the day you'd get your first gray hair. And some of you are thinking, I don't have gray hair. huh. Yeah, you and L'Oreal know that secret, right? <clears throat> just for men. Uh, but God created you and made you unique and special. And he created you just the way he wanted you to. And it began thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago when he took some dirt, he took some dust... And he formed the first man and breathed life into his nostrils. We are God's prized creation. Like I said earlier, he made us. And when he made us, he said that we are very, very good. And what did we do? We broke it. We sinned against him. We broke his commands. And we sinned against the one who made us. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. And so what did God do? He sent his son Jesus to be our savior. He sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. He sent His Son, Jesus, so that we could be forgiven. So all the things we've ever done can be washed away in the blood of the Lamb. That God sent Jesus to be our Savior and our forgiver and to die for our sins. Notice, God did not send Jesus to die for animals. Okay, you love your wiener dog and so does God. But God did not send Jesus to die for your wiener dog. God sent Jesus to die for you. God did not send Jesus to die for the angels. God sent Jesus to die for you. And He sent Jesus to die for me. Because we are His prized creation. We are the thing he loves most. We are his favoritist. You are God's favorite, and so am I. He likes us the most. He loves us the most. All the way, all the way. We, God sent Jesus to die for humanity and to save humanity because we can't save ourselves. You are special, and you are unique, and you are loved by the God who made you. You are loved by the God who created you. The point of this part of the story is that God is a loving father and creator. God is a loving father and creator. The second blank on your outline is placed by God. Placed by God. Pick it up in verse 8 of Genesis 2. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So God created a special place to put his prized creation. He planted a garden. And then he took Adam and he placed him in this garden, this place where he wanted him to be. It is a beautiful, abundant place that he created for him. The Hebrew word for Eden literally means luxurious or delight that it means luxurious or delight that God created this luxurious place for Adam full of abundant goodness and he created this delightful place for him in which to live it was a very special place a garden of delight designed just for Adam and he put two trees in the garden and I think to myself why Why put two trees? Why does that second tree have to be there? The tree of life was one tree, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil was the other tree. And the tree of life was the the tree that sustained Adam, and God told Adam, you can eat from any tree in the garden except one. Don't eat from that one tree. Pomegranate tree? Go crazy. Pineapple tree? Eat it till your lips burn. Anybody, Anybody get the lip burn from pineapple? Yeah. Coconut tree, sure, go crazy. They'll fall off, you know, crack them open, drink the milk, you're you're great. Eat from any tree you want, except the one. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the tree of life had the fruit that sustained Adam. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil had the fruit that could either perpetuate Adam's innocence or completely destroy it. And Adam made the wrong choice. We'll get into that in a couple of weeks. But God created a very special place because he loves his creation. Remember what Eden means? Did you write it down? You can write it down now. Eden means luxurious or delight. Luxurious or delight. It is finer than the finest hotels in Paris or New York City. It is more luxurious than the best suites reserved for the highest of high rollers in Las Vegas. It is more. Uh, it is greater than any all-inclusive result in the Caribbean or Caribbean, however you prefer to, in, to uh pronounce it, but it was designed by God just for Adam. Could you imagine God designing a place just for you? It would be amazing, and that's what Eden was. It was amazing. It was literally paradise. God created paradise just for Adam. It was a place where God and Adam could have fellowship, where they could walk together and talk together, and they could spend time with each other. God took good care of Adam and he gave him just about everything that he needed up to this point. But there was one more thing he needed. We'll talk about that next week. But the point of this part of the story is that God is a generous provider. God is a generous provider. The third blank on your outline is given purpose by God. Given purpose by God. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, to work it and to take care of it. God gave Adam a job. He gave him a purpose. He wasn't just laying around all day in the Garden of Eden eating grapes, saying, you know, talking to the animals. He wasn't just sitting around taking it easy. But God gave Adam a job. He gave him a purpose. He had a plan for his life. God created this wonderful place for Adam, and he put him in the garden to tend it. Uh, the Hebrew word for work it there uh, in uh, Genesis 2:15, where it says that he put him in the garden to work it. The Hebrew words, uh, Hebrew word for work it, literally means to serve. Adam was serving God by working the garden. He was his job was to serve God, and that was the ultimate purpose of his life. That is what God wanted Adam to do was to serve him by working in the garden, and that's exactly what Adam did. He was put there to tend the garden. I look around and I see people in their lives and I see an aimless people. I see a purposeless people. People walking around having no clue what it is that God created them to do. They have no clue why God even put them here. They're looking for purpose in their lives. They're trying to figure out why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? Is there a plan to this whole thing? And I believe that yes, there is a plan and a purpose to life. That God has given us a purpose and plan, and I want to share with you what I believe that is. I do not believe that anyone was created on accident. You were not. You are not an accident. Your parents may tell you, oh, you were an oops baby. No, nope, God knew. God knew you were coming. And God planned for your life, and He has a purpose for your life. You are not an accident. And so, um, Jesus, his purpose, I want to share with you what Jesus' purpose of his life was, because I believe it's the same purpose for our lives, and that purpose is to know God and make him known. To know God and make him known. Look at John 17, 25 through 26. He says, Righteous Father, this is Jesus praying, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that you the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus's purpose for his life, it, he was he knew God and he wanted to make God known, and that's exactly what he did. He knew God and he wanted to make God known. Could there be a greater purpose to life? Could there be a greater purpose than to know God and make him known? You may think, well, the purpose of my life is to make money. No, it's not. Money comes and goes. You invest it, and somebody runs off with it. Somebody hacks targets uh, cash registers, and next thing you know, you're at your bank account's empty. And you're like, what in the world just happened? All I did was go in there to buy a pack of gum, and now I got no money. Money comes and goes. You are not created to be famous. Fame is fleeting, ask Justin Bieber. Okay? Yeah, yeah, He's he's in the news. He's famous all right this week not for the reasons he wants to be. You're not created to be famous. You're not created to get a good job or to be a a provider for your family or to be a good spouse or to be good parents. That's not why you were created. Those are good things, don't get me wrong. It's a good thing to have a job. It's a good thing to be a good parent. Good thing to be a good spouse. That's not why you were created. There is so much more to life Than making money. There's so much more to life than being famous. There's so much more to life than just being a a good person. A good father, good mother, good husband, good wife, good child. There's more to life than just doing that. Those are good things, yes. But you were created to have a relationship with God. You were created to have a relationship with God. By his grace, through faith in his son Jesus. That you were created to know God. And to make him known to others. And the way you get into this relationship with God is to accept his offer of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. By believing in his son. By repenting of your sin. By confessing your faith. And by being baptized. This is how you begin this relationship with God. And God gives you this purpose to know him and to make him known to the entire world. You know, we'll talk about every Sunday we do our mission statement here that the purpose of the First Christian Church is to make disciples who love God, love others, and spread the gospel. And you're thinking, well, that, yeah, that's our church's mission statement. That's our church's purpose. It's your purpose. It's my purpose. Our purpose is to love God, love others, and spread the gospel. What? That's the church's purpose. Yeah, but who's the church? We are. We're the church. We make up this church. We make up our, we are the church. And so the church's purpose is our purpose to love God, love others, and spread the gospel. That's what we're all about. We are the church. The church's purpose is our purpose. So this part of the story, the point of this part of the story, is that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You are not an accident. You are not here as a result of an oops. You are on purpose. The last blank on your outline, the second to last blank on your outline, the fourth blank on your outline is given a command by God. Given a command by God. This is where it all falls apart. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. When you eat of it, you will surely die. God gave gave one command to Adam. You had one job. One tree to avoid. Again, pomegranates cool apples good pears peaches and eh, peaches i'm not a big peach fan the georgians can have them um, but i tell you what he had one tree to avoid you know and, and it's like why why god why would you do this why would you give one command why would you why would you even allow the possibility for this thing to all fall apart it's because god loves adam god loved him and God wanted Adam to love him in return, and to trust him, and to obey him, to know that God knows what's best, and to know that if he follows God's commands, he will have what is best. He already had what was best. He had paradise. He had Eden. He had the luxurious garden of delight, where he could have anything that he wanted. He just had to avoid this one tree. So why didn't God build like a hundred foot tall fence around this tree, right? I mean, that's what I would do. I'd be like, I'm not going to leave this to chance. I'm not going to let the devil come along and tempt you. No way. But see, God doesn't want robots. He doesn't want robotic rule followers. He doesn't want a bunch of robots running around just, I will love God, I will love God, I will love God. He wants us to choose Him. Because that's what true love really is. It's a choice. I choose to love God because He loved me first. See, God could make me into a robot, and I could just do everything He wanted me to. But what kind of life would that be? If I had no free will, if I had no choice... If I had no choice but to choose God, then I wouldn't love him for who he is. I wouldn't love him because he loved me first. See, God chose to love me in spite of my sin. God chose to love you in spite of your sin. And he makes it possible to have this relationship with him if we will choose him back. And he gives us that choice. And love always involves choice. Um, So God gave Adam the free will and the ability to choose. And he could either love God by obeying him or he could reject God in disobedience. He was given the instructions and he was told the consequences of his actions should he choose to disobey. It reminds me of another passage of scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 30. I have it saved here in my uh, Bible. And uh, if you want to turn to it, it's Deuteronomy 30 verses 11 through 20. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 20. And I want to read this for you. If you want to read along, it's in Deuteronomy 30 verses 11 through 20. And this is Moses talking to the people as they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. He says, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live in increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient... And if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God gave his people commands, and he expects us to obey. And to obey is to live life in which God delights. To live a life in which, don't you want to put a smile on God's face? To live a life that God delights in. To have a life, uh, to obey is to have a life that God will bless that God will bless us because of our obedience. That if we will do what he asks, if he will do what he commands, he will take delight in that life and he will bless that life. To obey is to have a life and to have blessings. To, to disobey is to have a life in which God does not delight. To disobey is to have a life uh, that God cannot bless. And, and what is the promise that Moses gives to the people? That if you will obey, you will have blessings in life. If you disobey, you will have death and destruction. God is big, and God is powerful, and God is mighty and strong and He is awesome. and i I shudder to think at what kind of destruction God could bring into my life if I choose to disobey him. I don't want that. I don't know anybody who does. We are called to obey him and to obey is to have life. In First John chapter five verses one through three, John wrote, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands, to obey his commands. It talks about being a child of God. God is our Father and our Creator, and He can tell us what to do. He is in charge. It's His world. We are His creation. He made us, and He knows us best. In our membership class, Albert will talk about the Bible being an instruction manual, and he uses this illustration. I'm going to steal it from him now. How many of you have a snowblower? How many of you wish you had a snowblower? (laughs) Or a bigger snowblower. There you go. Um, How many of you, when you got your snowblower, how many of you read the instructions? Good on you. Good on you. Very good. Very good. Of course you did, right? I mean, the the instruction manual is more than just a a few opinions based on the manufacturer's recommendations. It's not just some suggestions that the manufacturer makes that, oh, you might want to think about doing this. No, the instruction manual is very clear. If you don't do this, your snowblower will die. Okay? And, and uh, for example, okay, a two-cycle engine, you have to mix what two things in a two-cycle engine? Gas and oil. Gas and oil. you got to mix gas and oil. Do you know what happens if you do not put oil in with the gas? Your engine will seize up, and <laughs> you will have no more snowblower. And you will need two things. One, you will need a shovel, <laughs> and two, you will need a chiropractor. I know a guy, he's really good, he's really nice, and I'd be glad to refer you to him because my wife gets a discount for every referral we send. So if you need a chiropractor, just let me know, okay? But if you don't follow the manufacturer's instructions, your is going to die, the engine will seize up, and you're in trouble. So why would you not follow the instructions that the snowblower manufacturer created? Is it pride? I know best. Sounds like a guy, right? I know what I'm doing. I can run this snowblower by myself. I'll do whatever I want. Or maybe it's ignorance. Maybe it's ignorance. As if your snowblower is the only one that came without an instruction manual. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know why it won't start. I don't know why it won't run. Now you sound like a four-year-old. I don't know. Right? (laughs) Maybe it's willful rebellion. I am going to do what I am going to do, and I'm going to run this snowblower how I see fit. Good luck finding a shovel this time of year, my friends. They're already putting bikinis out in the stores. You're not going to find a shovel anymore, let alone rock salt. Follow the instruction manual. Follow the manufacturer's instructions. Follow the commandments. Because if you don't, you've got to ask yourself, can I live with the consequences? Can I live with the consequences? You see, we can do things our way or we can do things God's way but we can't do both. God is the manufacturer. He made this, okay? He made this body. He made your body, and he gave us an instruction manual, his word, the Bible, and it tells us how we are to live, and there's Bibles everywhere. We had the Gideons here last week. We raised over $500 for the Gideons last week. That was awesome, and uh, they're going to get the word of God into people's hands, and they that's what they do. There are Bibles everywhere, hotel rooms, bookstores, amazon.com, christianbook.com. You can find a Bible anywhere. So we can't claim ignorance. So it's one of two things. It's either willful rebellion or it's pride. Pride that says, I don't want to read the Bible. I can save myself. Really? Okay, good luck with that. You can't save yourself. That's why God sent Jesus. I'm convinced that we cannot save ourselves, that we cannot be good enough, because God said, I have to send my son to die for you, because you can't do it on your own. You can't. So it's either pride or it's or it's willful rebellion. I'm going to do this my way. I want to do it my way. And again, you will fail. The point of this part of the story is that God makes the rules. God makes the rules. You know, he gave us everything we need. He gave us everything we need. What, do, what, do we, what does he expect in return? Obedience. That is what God expects. That's the last blank on your outline, is obedience. In John 14, 23 through 24, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Uh, These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. This is what God asks in return, is our obedience. And if we truly love God, we will obey his commands. We will do what he has commanded us. My challenge for you today is to think of the one area, and there may be more than one area, but think of the one area of your life that you're like, I just can't do it. I can't overcome this temptation. I can't overcome this addiction. I can't overcome this behavior. I can't overcome this habit. I can't overcome this struggle. I can't overcome this sin, and I can't, I just can't do it. And it may be an addiction to alcohol or to drugs or to sex. Uh, It may be uh, an issue of forgiveness, that you just can't forgive this one person and you're harboring bitterness in your heart. Uh, It may be that you have a sinful habit that you just want to get rid of and you just can't do it on your own and and you need to surrender it. You need to give it over to Jesus. You need to say, God, help me with this because I can't do it on my own. I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a second. I want you to think of that one area, that, that one that just has got you and you just can't let it go. I want you to think of that one area. We're going to pray this prayer together, okay? And we're going to surrender this thing to Jesus today. We're going to surrender it to him now. We're going to let go of this. We're going to quit trying to do it all by ourselves because you can't. That's why God sent his Holy Spirit was to change us and to transform our lives and to give us the strength to overcome those struggles and those sins and temptations. So would you pray with me at this time? Go ahead, bow your heads. Let's pray together. Father God, I need you in my life. I need to be more aware of your presence with me. I have struggles. I have doubts. I have fears. I struggle with sin. And I struggle with temptation. Every day, I fall short of your righteous expectations. God, this is my biggest struggle. I struggle with this. God, please give me the strength to overcome this sin by your mighty power. Fill me with the knowledge of your presence in my life. I ask this in Jesus' holy name.